Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. Hold on, hold on, I gotta put my thingy in, I gotta put my headphone thingy in. Got my doohickeys <laughs> ready. Got my doohickeys. Gotta get my doohickey un- undohicked. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about them doohickeys up here in Canada. Welcome to the Hoop Collective. It's Friday. We talk about the NBA on Friday, sometimes other days, but Friday, today is Friday. Um, in Los Angeles, running the show is Andrew Hahn. Hello, Mr. Hahn. Hello, Mr. Winhorst. Thank you very much. Let's keep this nice and formal. That's the way I like it. That's, you know, I run a tight ship. And <laughs> just, just down the road in LA, Brandon Lowe, aka B Lowe. Bilo, um, thank you for getting up early for us today. No problem, no problem. And in Toronto, but really always a product of Texas, no matter where he goes, even when he crosses international borders, it's Ban McMahon. It's Ben McMahon. Fellas, fellas, fellas. I'm sorry. (laughs) This damn mute button's confused me. I got somebody calling me. I got people talking to me. I've I've got a lot going on here, but I am going to focus. McMahon, we got a big game tonight. Some would say a finals preview between the Raptors and the Rockets. Is this a finals preview, Tim McMahon? Uh, I'm not ready to go there because I'm not betting against LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals, nor am I betting against the Warriors. But I'm also not going to completely rule out the possibility. It's definitely the the, uh, two teams playing the best basketball right now. I I think, obviously, everybody's talking about the Rockets winning streak. In fact, the the Raptors have won 13 of 14. It's kind of just floating under the radar here. So, I mean, and there's a lot of talking up here about earning respect outside of Canada. So that's certainly this is an opportunity for the Raptors to do just that. Hey, but that that's something they've been saying for years, Every though. That's year. just that's, that's yeah, year. but they haven't been first place very many years. Well, they're twenty seven and they're twenty seven and five at home, and uh, that is even better than the Rockets, who are twenty five and six at home. So uh, this is a great opportunity tonight if they want, to, uh, you know, forget about respect, just to pr- sort of prove to themselves they break this Rockets uh, streak. I mean, I have to assume that the place will be crazy tonight um they do they do get great crowds there but i mean if they're the raptors <laughs> who is that talking to you McMahon? i'm sorry i'm so bad with the mute button and dealing with phone calls and crap that was uh ryan anderson who has been imploring me to watch black mirror <laughs> the, the, what is the, what what is black mirror it is the uh, – it's a Netflix show, and I guess – because he brought it up when I was asking him about being Twitterless. And I, so I guess it has something to do with kind of this 
the cesspool of the social media society that that we live in. I, he was explaining it to me. It was something about how, like, it, there were maybe one episode was something like, you know, everything you do, people are giving you, like, the equivalent of, a, of an Uber rating. So it creates this really phony society, so on and so forth. I, I think there's some NBA equivalents there. So is Ryan Anderson, is he, like, anti, he's anti-social media, and he's, Ben Black Mirror is, is his example of why that's the case? Yes, very much so. He says his life has been... A hell of a lot better since he deleted Twitter and uh, got out of his mentions. Huh. Well, I got out of my mentions five years ago, but you can do Twitter and not look at your mentions. Well, not everybody's as strong as you, Wendy. Thanks, Will right. Power, Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is Ryan Anderson healthy? No. Is he not healthy? He's no, still he's, not healthy. He is still not healthy. Um, yeah, so they'll have to soldier on without him tonight. Although. Look, he, he's he's going to be a bench guy. It looks like the rest of the season. They really like that P.J. Tucker uh, look in the starting lineup. Man, they love P.J. up here in Toronto. What do you know? Wrong, but they love that's him. you know when it came down to it, the Raptors were offering more money than the Rockets for P.J. Mm-hmm. Tucker, and uh, I think the Raptor, I think the Rockets offered one more year. So that's how they, I think, helped equalize the deal out. Um, the Raptors were offered more money, and that was when uh, CP3 called in his old North Carolina connections. Um, PJ Tucker and Chris Paul are both from North Carolina. Did I don't know if they played together when they were kids, but they've just known each other for a long time. And CP picked up that phone and made it happen, I guess. And that's, at least that's the story that they. Yeah, they, they've known each other since they were kids growing up in North Carolina. And then obviously, not that the rappers aren't capable of contending, but I think he certainly liked his chances better in Houston. And the Chris Paul recruiting pitch got him. Yeah, that's one of the things about the Rockets is that during this win streak is that they've survived without when they've you know survived is the wrong word, but they've kept on winning despite not having Ryan Anderson for a lot of it. Not that he's a vital player, but Capella's missed games, Eric Gordon's missed games. You know, it's hard to win this many games in a row, um, especially when you don't have your full roster and you have back to backs and road trips and stuff. That's one of the and things. Sir, that, and, and survived last weekend with James Harden not having a particularly great game, uh, the Celtics game. So, I mean, they, they've kind of shown a lot. Is this is this even a hot take? I feel like Ryan Anderson is not that integral to the roster. I mean, he's certainly a useful player, but his defensive liabilities, like that's really what's been holding the Rockets back these past few years, right? They can always score this the ball. point, Ryan Anderson's become a shooter off the bench, a very expensive shooter off the bench, a $20 million shooter off the bench. But that's what he is. And you, I mean, you look at the Rockets' identity. Obviously, you're talking about the elite offense, James Paul, Chris Harden, Creighton, you know, the spec around that. But the, the biggest difference between last year and this year is defense. And that's when you're talking about P.J. Tucker and Luke Mbamute. And, you know, Anderson's a guy who can catch fire. He might, he might you know, win him a playoff game. He might be critical in a playoff series. I think of, like, Peja Stojakovic and uh, – for the Mavericks in 2011 against the Lakers, but he's also a guy who there might be playoff series where he doesn't play a whole lot. Do you think McMahon intentionally said James Paul, Chris Harden, or was that just a brain? Uh, I think that you know <laughs> there could be some uh, some therapists who could maybe make some um, some deductions from that. But uh, McMahon's like he's out he's out in the field. He's you know he's got Rockets players trying to get him to watch Netflix shows. He's at the Air Canada Center. I, I and, 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 and Wendy, you can respect this. I had to I had to mute and talk to a, a Sports Center producer. Suddenly, they want 
me on TV. They're, now they've decided they want handsome people oh, on yeah. TV too. Well, you're not banned. Hey, I saw you the other day, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to stop the- doing. I've got to stop doing the the uh, eyebrow raise thing because like the wrinkly forehead looks a bad look. I got to work on that. I need some coaching, below. I, you know, I can I can help you out. You know, I, you know, that's kind of what I do. You know. Yeah, um, all it took was like a 15 game win streak to get you on, and, and <laughs> all your incessant compl- all your incessant complaining for months on end about it. So last year, uh, I remember uh, I, it, I've covered the Raptors a lot in the playoffs the last three years, and um, I've been there for their, some of their high moments. I've been there for some of their low moments. And last year, I remember being there in Toronto when um, when the Cavs finished off the sweep. Uh, actually, the last two years, I remember the, the Raptors going down in Toronto against the Cavs. Um, I just remember the Cavs finishing off the sweep last year and just the absolute um, – just just dejection from the entire end of that building <clears throat> you know down by that locker room and, and you know seeing the Raptors front office guys walking around and you know seeing Kyle Lowry and um, who was heading to free agency anyway it was a, it was a real low moment and I remember thinking I don't know what they're going to do with this team you know they, they have all these free agents they they had four free agents at the time they had uh, Abaka they had Lowry they had Patrick Patterson they had PJ Tucker oh. And I remember thinking, I, I mean, I don't think they can re-sign all these guys. I don't know what they can do with this roster. Like, I, 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 I respected them as a quality team who is just running into LeBron. I'd seen this before. You know, I'd seen this with the Celtics, with the with the Pacers, um, with the Hawks, um, where the, you know they have a good team and they just can't get past them, and it's really frustrating. And uh, I, I I didn't know what they would do. If you'd if if, if you'd asked me like, hey, how would you uh, fix the Raptors? I don't know if I would have had an answer. Um, but the kind of moves that that front office made, um, with you know, without having big cap space, without having a top ten pick, um, they've got a very deep team that plays a very intriguing style of basketball and should be more uh, f- flexible and more durable in terms of their style of play in the uh, postseason this year, in theory. I mean, whether or not that comes mm-hmm. through or not, we'll see. But I got to say, the Raptors raising their game and also DeMar DeRozan really going into a new level of player, I didn't see this coming. And oh. I I mean, they're 47 and 17, guys. Well, and and Rian, really keeping the core together, they lost Tucker, but you know they brought back Ibaka and Lowry. Keeping the core together and kind of reinventing themselves, and a lot of that is Demar Derozan expanding. And and you know, and by expanding, we're talking about you know he's he's become a three point shooter in addition right. to all the stuff that he's always been able to do. And then the, the bench, I mean, they've got I think I believe statistically, but certainly arguably the best bench in the league. And and that's just yeah. a bunch of guys who you know you're hitting on late first round picks, or you're you know you're you're hitting on guys who, you know, aren't... aren't Fred Van Vliet was a free agent for anybody to sign. Exactly. You know, you're hitting on guys like that. And, you know, it's funny because people talk about shortening the rotation in the playoffs. And I know know Dwayne Casey's been like, who made that a rule? Why do we got to do that? We're going to play our bench. I, think, I mean, I think that's their strength. I mean, they they look to them. They, you know, Brian, uh, you know, as you talk about these past few years, they were so reliant, obviously, on their backcourt 
stars. So when Kyle Lowry, you know, continued to struggle and, you know, honestly disappear, I mean, they were just completely, I, I mean, they were just done. You know, you could just kind of see it. You could see it in their energy. But now, I mean, from what they've shown, <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like Lowry can have those games and it won't be an issue for them. At least it seems so far the way they've played the season. I think Lowry had a game the other night where he scored like six six points or four points or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if now, that had happened a year ago, they, uh, that was a that was a that was a big L. Run off the floor. I mean, the other night was that the uh, uh, the Pistons game we had on Wednesday. I mean, Ibaka. That's the game Ibaka got run right. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, they still managed to win. So I, I don't know, man. They they look different. My my one concern for them is again, and uh, it's cliche, but it is regular season. Can you rely on that potent bench? Uh, you know, when the lights are the brightest. So I mean, it remains to be seen. Yeah, that's what we see. I mean, role players typically in in the, in the postseason, role players typically can do do some stuff at home. They don't always show up on the road. Um, yep. They have a they have a lot of young guys. I mean, some of them have. I mean, Pascal Siakam got playoff experience last year. Okay, yeah. um, you know, uh, Jacob Pertl went through the playoffs last year. He didn't play that much, but he played. Mm-hmm. Um, but it. it Beyond actually having stepped on the court in the playoffs, you know, Norman Powell's played quite a few playoff games. Yeah, yeah. Um, Had some big moments, too, at times. I I actually really like Norman Powell. He's not, you know, he's assigned to do an extension before the year, which I thought was smart. He's actually not having that good of a year. His his outside shooting is plunged. But but they're overall – well, frankly – Van Vliet's been so awesome yeah. <laughs> that yeah. um, that you sort of forget that Norman Powell's taking a step back. But I don't want to talk too much about <laughs> breaking down the Raptors bench. But that's what the people ahead. want. Which, Brian. by the way, will be will be a little bit shorter tonight because OG and Gosh, help me on the and pronunciation. Ananobi, yeah, he's he's out with an ankle, and then uh, Wright's got a toe where he's doubtful. So a little shorter bench tonight. By the way, yeah, sorry, when the they got just signed to a ten day contract, can't get in the country. <laughs> oh, that's not good. But when they beat the Rockets by 16 earlier this season, there was no Chris Paul. But uh, Ananobi did an awesome job, as, as good a defensive job on James Harden as anybody's done this year. My uh, my hot take is that OG is going to be the best wing out of that draft. But uh, McMahon, wow. McMahon, wait a minute, is what? Donovan Mitchell considered a wing? Thank you. No, <laughs> yes. he's a guard. <laughs> okay, by the Brad Stevens measure, ball handlers, wings, and uh, bigs. I would agree with that. Yeah, what? I got what what's more improbable to you? The way that the Raptors have reinvented themselves without like any major pieces or that DeAndre Jordan and Andre Drummond are both 60 plus percent free throw shooters. It's because that these are all one year just immediate transformations. Huh. I'm looking back at the draft while you guys talk about this and That's evaluating that evaluating I, I say- that statement. You know what? I, I would say probably the free throw shooting, just because you know, you, at that point you kind of think, okay, you are what you are, and there's a, a flaw there. But you know, the, for the Raptors to do this on the fly, though, and see, to me, DeRozan's been kind of disrespected. This is the, he's he's a classic case of a, a guy who I think the uh, analytics nerds go too far on. Because I'm sorry, if you're a dude who's creating. And you're consistently getting 25, 27 points per game. At yeah. some point, I, I don't talk to me about analytics. That's a guy who any team would love to have. But, you know, 
if you don't make playoff runs, and then it's easy to have negative opinions. <laughs> don't don't talk to McMahon about analytics unless it, unless it's clutch factor, and then all of a sudden the numbers just come pouring. <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 no. Hey, 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 hey! I respect nerds. I respect analytics. I just think that you can go, you can go too. You definitely, there's too many people who go too anti-analytics. I'm just saying, you know, analytics. It's it's not the end all be all, and I, and I do think DeRozan's a guy who's been disrespected, um, and and not recognized as one of the best players, or widely recognized at least by a a, a segment of, of people as one of the league's best players because people read too much in analytics on him. Well, he's he's got a chance. He's going to make the All NBA team in a year where the guard position is incredible. So that's going to say a lot. Saying he's one of the top six guards in the NBA. Which he is, um, DeRozan is an ultimate compliment. All right, I'm looking at the wings from this last draft. I guess I will agree that Donovan Mitchell is not a wing, although I feel like he kind of is, but okay, I agree with that. Here are the wings. Jason Tatum. Oh, yeah. He ain't going to be better than Tatum. We'll see. Uh, Josh Jackson. uh, Wendy's favorite. (laughs) Well, I just, I mean, yeah, let's not trade the number four pick for Kyrie Irving because we can draft Josh Jackson. Um, Justin Jackson. I like Justin Jackson. I feel pretty good about that. He's not, he's, well, okay. Um, uh, Terrence Ferguson. Yeah. Stop. He's okay. So really, we're talking about Tatum here. Nah. OG and Anubi. Yeah. Tatum. Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm. I'm. Kyle, uh, 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 are, are we calling Kyle Kuzma a wing? No. No. Uh, no. He's more of a four. He's like a power guard. He's that Shabazz yeah, Muhammad. He's, he's he's definitely a four. He's not. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I guess Mitchell and Kuzma. I would not really call. I classic wings so i don't know it's interesting so so basically you you would you like well i will say this you know ananobi was taken with the 21st pick i think 20 no 23rd pick and jason tatum was taken with the third pick if it's an argument in two years the raptors get the w there right because they picked they picked 20 spots later look the raptors get the w regardless because they've got a guy who's a key role player on a uh, team that's leading their conference with the 23rd pick. He's a hell of a pick regardless. I just think to say better than Tatum, I th- Andrew the Hahn is going for the uh, knee-jerk, forgot that Tatum existed award there. I will say that I had spoken with a former scout, and they said that the last time they felt the way that they did about OG Ananobi was a certain Kawhi Leonard. Mm. So, I'm just gonna All right, let's that. everybody settle down. Well, settle down. <laughs> well, it's pre- and, pretty high praise. Uh, I would say former. Down. There's a maybe there's a reason for former. <laughs> hey, Andrew, let's move. Let's move more to your wheelhouse. Oh, okay. Um, as a Clippers oh, uh, aficionado, oh, no. <laughs> h- how are you feeling about the uh, Blake Griffin trade at this moment? 
Uh, I feel more or less the same way I did at the time it happened. I understand why they did it. Uh, I think for this year only, uh, Blake, I mean, singularly Blake is the better player, but as you and I have discussed ad nauseum, uh, there's contract concerns about durability, all of that stuff. I wish they could have gotten another small piece out of it, but that's, I feel. Well, how do you feel about at this moment that it's the 11th pick in the draft? Mm. Um, I would, I don't know why, because the 10th and 11th pick are really not that different. But if somehow it becomes a 10th pick, I feel much better about it. Hey, can we get a Pistons homer on here to ask how they feel about it? Because I can't imagine they're feeling too good. Especially when you look at Tobias Harris's numbers and compare them to Blake Griffin's numbers since the deal. And if you don't put names by him, you don't know which is which. Yeah. Andrew, I thought you'd be. I mean, right now the Clippers are in eighth in, in eighth place. Yep. Yeah, yep. they have a chance to make the playoffs and still get a lottery pick. Yeah, and um, their 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 2019 cap is in great shape. Uh-huh. Um, they, they keep winning. The Pistons keep losing. The Pistons are six and ten since the trade. I knew that their first four wins were against teams on the second night of back to backs. I learned reading Zach Lowe this morning that all six of those wins are our home games on teams playing on the second night of back-to-backs. I'm surprised there have been six um, of those. Um, and uh, so that's a stunner to me. And so for the Clippers to be, I don't know what they are since the trade. I have to, I have to look at it. But the Clippers have a winning record since the trade. So, so again, Andrew, I will repeat, how do you feel about that Blake Griffin trade right now? I feel exactly <laughs> the same. Brian, as I've, as I've shown on multiple occasions and even on today's podcast, I am a, uh, a man not prone to knee-jerk reactions and just spouting off anything that comes on, off the top of my head. I feel the same. Right. Right. Like, like OG Ananobi. Yeah. It's Andrew Measured Takes Han is. That is my my name. That's a great nickname. Well, how about this for a take since we're on the Clippers, and I've been saying it. I I don't know if I've said it to you, Andrew, around uh, the office, but, you know, I understand what Dwayne Casey's doing, Mike D'Antoni's doing, uh, even Mike Malone, guys, if they get in. But if the Clippers get in, Doc Rivers has to get serious coach of the year consideration. Okay. Number one, number one, consideration's fine. Let's put Quinn Snyder in that conversation with the Jazz doing what they're doing. And, And, by the way, that's a team that's, Won 16 of 18, and Rudy Gobert is playing at an all-NBA level. Um, but can't vote for anybody, period. But if I did, Dwayne Casey's done here, come on. If, if they yeah, win the East, here's, or if they're, they're the number one seed in the East. Yeah, but here's the argument. They've been in that top one, two, three range for the past several years. The Clippers, And then they okay, redefine themselves and are having the best no, yet. It, listen, and I respect that, but here's the thing. The Clippers, what expectation did anyone have just even after the Chris Paul draft, before, oh, before and they dealt with Patrick Beverly gets hurt, you know yeah, what this and, and and then they dealt with Blake's injury in the trade. Said, and, they've know, started and, and cheat you. league guys that you can, like you wouldn't recognize these guys if they walked down the street. And they've started games in numerous games and played impactful minutes. <laughs> I, I, I don't see anyone Doc, else. Doc's got a case, but the Jazz are playing, and I, yeah, I got to level up my man Quinn. With Rudy Gobert, they're they're playing at a 50 win pace. They survived a dreadful 26 game, two different stretches to 26 games without them, and they're going to make the playoffs. That is a prediction which <laughs> they might not recognize. 
Well, so they're in tenth place right now, but they're well, they're tied for ninth, I guess. But only yeah, one right. game. Only well, they're two. They're, well, percent, so, they're essentially so, tied for eight. Well, okay, go ahead. Go ahead and kind of win tonight. They're playing the Grizzlies. Okay, so <laughs> how many Coach of the Year candidates we have? Dwayne Casey is a candidate for sure. Uh, Brad Stevens, Quinn Snyder, Doc. Brad Rivers. Stevens is a. Yeah, that's two. I will toss in Nate McMillan. I'm not saying necessarily he's a candidate for first place, but he's a candidate to be on the ballot. I mean, that team's in fifth place in the East right now. They're actually tied for fourth. I think Alvin and, Gentry's got to be in the conversation. Okay, Alvin Gentry. Um, you, we already mentioned Quinn Snyder. We already mentioned Doc Rivers. Mike D'Antoni. I mean, Mike D'Antoni won it last year, yeah. yeah. What about Terry Stotts? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Mike Malone, you mentioned below. Boy, what a bold move that was for him to bench the face of the franchise right. for the fourth quarter right. of a critical loss <clears throat> to a lottery right. team. Right. That and then the, was but then interesting. The, but then the next game, obviously, they took the L to Cleveland. But the next game, he, I mean, it, it seemed like it worked, right? <laughs> I mean, he got yeah. the result it, from the player, bold. at least. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it was very bold. I'm just saying, like, We've got like nine candidates. And, 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 and that's why you give it to Doc Rivers. People, let, let's, let's just like backtrack. People were talking about Doc Rivers would be out before the All long before there, the All Star. There, there was, nah, there was Doc, they no, were there never going to fire him midseason. They were, that was never There, uh, there was a direct speculation, Wendy, which I specialize in. <laughs> <laughs> what was your nickname, Andrew Hahn? Uh, the moderate take, Andrew Hahn? What was the Me- uh, measure take? Measured take, Andrew Hahn. He's he, he's not praising Doc Rivers. Me, me, measured take. He, the Clippers, I, I think uh, you mentioned, haven't they started two guys who were previously in the G League at one time? I think yeah. they have started. Yes. Oh, dude, they beat they came down yes. and beat them with like two guys starting who I'd never heard of. Yes, two guys. Those yeah, two was, guys started, and that's the game. Lou, I mean, Lou Will's had a bunch of guys. Lou Will torched them. His name is Austin Rivers. Yeah, McMahon. Yeah. <laughs> well, Austin Rivers had. Austin Rivers had. Hey. He, did have thirty something that night, and that little Munchkin from Oklahoma State picked up the two the uh, the late offensive foul on Harden. Man, I love Andrew Hahn's moderate takes on uh, on the Clippers. <laughs> measured, 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 Andrew takes. measured takes. I, you know what? Uh, Tyrone Tyrone Wallace is one of the guys. Like, Tyrone, yeah, sixtieth pick. Cal product. Um, I didn't back off my my preseason take that they would win fifty games and be the four seed. Uh, which I guess the four seed part is still technically possible because a, that wasn't a moderate take, by the way. Those, that was not a moderate take. I, I just think <laughs> I think true. Dwayne Casey so, is the coach of the year. It's like not even a question. Much like I, I, I thought Spolstra was uh, coach of the year last uh, year, despite the fact uh, that that's he didn't a question. <laughs> Andrew the Han, would would you would you swipe right on Doc Rivers? Let's take a look at the uh, Clippers schedule. All right, so they got the Cavs tonight. Uh, don't like it. Uh, then they play. Then they play some tankers, the Magic and and the Bulls. But I don't know. There's some tough games left on this schedule. There are some tough games. Hey, Timberwolves sinking, Spurs sinking, Nuggets struggling.
do we think the Timberwolves are going to make the playoffs? I, 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 I don't know. Is Butler going to is Butler going to like rush back and try to salvage their season in the last couple of weeks? Well, you can't crazy? rush back from a knee injury. Uh-huh. Yeah, he'll probably uh, play, he'll, he'll probably have a minutes restriction like forty when he comes back. So, <laughs> so it's funny. It's funny you said that, Brian, because I've been contending for weeks, and everyone looks at me like I'm the biggest idiot around, and I'll I'll, I'll wear that. That's fine. But I said <laughs> the Timberwolves, the Spurs. Um, who was I think? Oh, and the Thunder. I said one of those teams will not make it, and everyone just thought I was Maybe crazy. Two. Yeah, everyone thought I was crazy, and and I'm looking, I'm looking in Texas, and I know it, it's sacrilege to say, but their schedule is brutal. The Spurs, they've got OKC tomorrow, then they've got Houston, then a couple games they got the Pelicans, the Timberwolves, the Warriors, the Wizards. I mean, they have all either top teams in the playoffs in the East or West, or teams fighting to get in the playoffs. And they're playing. They're playing bad, bad. They, they've been ball. playing horrible. But they've been playing bad ball since before the break. Ooh. And so it's true. Yeah. Look, and, I mean, and look were, when Kawhi comes back, is you know, is, is he rusty? I mean, yeah. how much of a acclimation process is it there? The, the Spurs are in serious trouble for the first time. You know, the, sp- the Spurs like two decades. The, the, first time the, in twenty years. The Spurs record. The Spurs schedule is brutal. Brutal, man. They're not going to make it. Brian, between the uh, Spurs, Timberwolves, and Thunder, if which of those teams, if they don't make the playoffs, is that just a disaster? Wow, wow. Well, the it's not a it's a it's a it's a terrible setback for the Wolves because you know this was their season. They were in third place, you know, fourteen days ago. Um, but yeah, fourteen. This is what fourteen years are going on. Yeah, but. Bro. Right. But they had an injury to their best player. I mean, but so by the way, the, 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 I'm looking at the Wolves' schedule. So they they lost to the Celtics on Thursday. Yep. Um, I guess that was last night. I said Thursday. Um, they 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 play the. This, this is really strange. They they only had one game. They, they only have two games in like an eight day stretch, which is very strange for this time of year. Um, and they got all these practices in and like Tibbs was, you know, supposedly running them through all these defensive drills and everything. And then they give up 117 to the Celtics who are not a great offensive team every night. Some nights they are, but not every night. They've had like a little um, weak stretch here where they've found offense, but I, I think, I don't think it's sustainable but anyway. <laughs> all right. So they play, this is, this is a stretch for the Wolves. They play, they play, they played the Celtics last night. Sunday, they host the Warriors. <laughs> All right, ABC game. Tuesday at Washington, not easy. Saturday, <laughs> boy, they, they're not playing any games. Look at this. I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent on a tangent. They played They played March 2nd, okay? Yep. Then they had 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th off. Wow. Then they played the 8th. Then they had the 9th, then they have the 9th and 10th off, okay? Then they, <laughs> then they have a day off on the 12th. On Monday, then they play Tuesday. <laughs> but you know what? Is that a product of Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? Yes. But was their schedule probably front loaded with the back to backs? Yeah, but, uh, but even that back. aside, with all those days off, I mean, it is Tom no days off Thibodeau, <laughs> so they don't really have those days <laughs> off. <laughs> They're playing three games in in fourteen days. Jeez. All right. Anyway, I don't understand their scheduling whatsoever. They play. 
Saturday in San Antonio, and they play Sunday against the Rockets, but not in Houston, in Minneapolis. This is one of the strangest schedules I can remember seeing. My point is the next five games that they have over the next 36 days are brutal games. Now, then then they've got a couple – then it's, then it's a tank fest. They have a couple of games with Memphis. They have the Hawks. They have the Mavericks. Um, you know, so – but but you know by the time they get there they could be in tenth place, and yeah. okay so back to the question that Andrew asked which is a good question, Thunder, Wolves, Spurs, um, Spurs, who is it devastating for? Yep, it's most devastating for the Thunder because they have Paul George as a free agent. That's I think without question. The Wolves and the Spurs have basically been, are basically without their best player, so. You know, what do you do? You just that's that's sort of life in the NBA, you know, when when you're so need stars, Um, you know, the Spurs, knowing them, if they miss the playoffs, they'd win the damn lottery again. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Mike, look, man, I'm I'm telling you, if you look at their schedule, it's 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 I think it is the toughest schedule remaining. I think uh, uh, we looked up that stat the other day on the show, but. I, I think uh, I mean I agree. Like this would be the first time in a what? It's twenty years, right, Brian? That Spurs will miss the playoffs, which is they won the uh, Tim say. Duncan Tim Duncan lottery in ninety seven. Yeah, so it's that's ridiculous even to think about. So I mean, obviously the first time in twenty years. I mean, it stinks, but you can live so he, with so, it. So so here's their schedule. Okay, so they they had the Grizzlies um, on Monday last night. They they a uh, bad loss at Oakland after um, no Steph all game after Steph turned his ankle like five minutes into the game I don't even know how pretty pretty yeah. ne- pretty early in the game Very had a early. lead and lost it okay so okay the, here's where it gets crazy so yesterday at um, at Warriors yep. Saturday at Thunder every game for the Thunder is a must win game at this point on ABC <laughs> yep. Monday at Rockets. I mean, brutal. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tuesday, Magic at home. Got to win that. Thursday, Pel- next Thursday, Pelicans. Yep. Vital game. Then that game, as I mentioned, against the uh, against Wolves. the Wolves. By the way, between now and that Wolves game, they have four games and the Wolves have two. All right. <laughs> then after that Wolves game, two days later, Warriors. Yep. Two days later, Wizards. Two days later, Jazz. Two days later, Bucks on the road. On yeah. the road at Wizards. My God, these are all playoff yeah. teams. Yeah. Then and, 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 and then they close out the month of their month of March <laughs> playing the Thunder. <laughs> no, yeah. Then then the Thunder. We did a five on five the, the other then day. Then the Rockets. Um, on and the, then the Clippers. On the West playoffs. I, I legitimately think that the West playoff seedings will not be set until the last game on the last day of the regular season. Oh yeah. No, I agree. I mean everyone's just so tight. Uh, it's and they all play each other. <laughs> so it's uh, Let's it's take a fun. look at the NBA schedule on April 11th. Which by the way um is early this year. Right. Um while while Brian's looking that up below uh do you think uh Port- Portland and Pelicans right now are 3-4? They are tied yep. in the loss column with 26 losses, so that's like two games clear of Spurs in fifth right now. Uh, do you think those two are going to stay up there on the top top half of the bracket, or can, can they slide as well? 
I, you know how I felt, and obviously I know they're on a what nine game win streak right now, probably Pelicans, but ten. Uh, they're ten now. Ten games. Yeah. God. Uh I just I've just never been big believers of them, even when they had Boogie. Obviously they're proving me wrong for right. the time yeah, being. They're playing out of their minds right now. <clears throat> they're they're playing great ball. I think the Meritage pickup obviously was huge. But uh again, they've let me down in the past, but I would just have to I mean, if I'm picking between the two, I have much more faith in Portland. Okay. Being that they have guys who've been there before, um, you know, in terms of their core with their backcourt and you know, a couple other guys. But I, I mean I can see the Pelicans um, I, I don't think they're going to win out by any means. Like I think Houston probably will do, but I can see the Pelicans slipping. Uh, some, and I actually okay. would have to look and see how far they could slip because, again, how tight it is, they could slip. It, again, I don't. It might not happen, but they could slip all the way. I mean, yeah, is- three right now. The the three seed Portland, they could slip all the way too. It's just it's yeah. that. Yeah, right now. Drew, Drew Holiday, by the way, has been phenomenal. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So four incredibly interesting games on the last night of the season that could define seedings. Spurs at Pelicans, as we said. Now, remember two years ago, uh, was it two years ago? Um, Spurs, Pelicans in the last day of the season. Yep. Spurs, Spurs lose, knocks them. What, what did it do to their seeding? It like I, I knocked them from the. They, they knocked dropped. them from the. Three to six, I think, or three I, I to think five. Was, I think six. Yeah, it was six. that was the year that the Spurs I, lost, and then they had they ended up playing the Clippers in the first round and losing in seven. So that's three years ago, yeah. I think. Right, and it became like this incredibly difficult first round series, and right. that victory got the Pelicans into the playoffs. Right, right. Yep. And then Monty Williams got fired anyway. Right. Uh, okay, so Spurs Pelicans last game of the season in New Orleans. Nuggets Timberwolves in Minnesota. That could <laughs> be for a playoff spot right there. Yep. All right. Um, and then the other West game is Jazz at Blazers. That could get uh, again. Playoff. I mean that the that again that could be for a playoff spot, and certainly could be for definitely for seeding. And then in the East, Bucks at Seventy Sixers. Yep. Well, um, I mean Raptors at Raptors at Heat, but the Raptors may not play anybody that game. Clippers yeah. Lakers is the late game that night too, and that is not a gimme. I feel like because. Nothing would give the Lakers and Laker fans more pleasure if they won that game that the Clippers oh, needed yeah. to get in. Absolutely. That's true. And the Lakers, you know, the Lakers are kind of in that zone where the Lakers are kind of a dangerous team right now because they are in the zone. They don't have their draft pick and they're like yep. trying to win right. every game they can. And they've so been like, playing pretty good ball. Right. Right. They've been a, a winning team. They've been something yeah. like. They're the ones who are eighteen and eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're eighteen and eight. So yeah, you're right, yeah, Mr. Han. That could uh, that could do it. But that that would be an interesting. That's going to be a uh, a hell of an interesting night, including Pistons at Bulls. Circling back to uh, Andrew, your original question: Who would it be a bigger blow for? I don't think I fully fleshed out my thought, but the Thunder, right? Obviously, not only are you looking at losing Paul George if you miss the playoffs, but for the you know kind of story arc and narrative of Russell Westbrook, I think that would be very very hurtful to his legacy he's building. You know, I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but if you say, all right, yeah, he won the MVP, they got what the sixth seed that year without KD. You know, everybody's like, oh, you know, it's fine. Nobody expected him to go anywhere. He didn't have KD. Now you get legit pieces. 
and you had a, a full year. This isn't like it was a you got Melo and Paul George after the break and you guys didn't have time to put it together. Yeah. Carmelo Anthony, who, yes, he's not, you know, Denver Carmelo or anything like that, but he's still Carmelo Anthony as your, you know, third option. And by the way, you still have Steven Adams, who's a damn good player. And you have Paul George. And you miss the playoffs. And not just miss the playoffs because people, again, they want to go to, oh, the West is so tough. If Russell Westbrook-led Thunder team misses the playoffs and the we've played two-way G League guys, Clippers, make it, that – the optics of that looks very, very bad, I feel like, for us. Uh, I agree. That Thunder franchise is on the verge of just being its own 30 for 30 to yes. draft yes. potentially three MVPs in successive seasons. Generational talents. Generational <laughs> talents that, that can, that made the finals and thought that like, like there was a time where the Thunder were supposed to be the dynasty that the Warriors are now. Yeah. And like, yes. it's crazy. We're, we're real close yeah. to that point. Let me say this about the Harden Westbrook thing. That, that in the the actual trade and the actual thing that happened, the fact that they could have just a paid the tax or waived Kendrick Perkins with the stretch or well with the uh, amnesty provision, that's a blight on the you know that they that they would pick mm-hmm. one over the other. Right, right. But I think that I'd like to put forth two things. One that. Harden wouldn't be Harden if he was still playing with Westbrook. Yeah. And two, that I think one of them would have had to have been traded at some point. Now, maybe the haul that they would have gotten for Harden had they waited, or maybe they would have said, man, we'd rather have Harden than Westbrook had they waited a year, just gave them the max contract and waited a year or two. Might have been completely different. It would change their their future. I don't think think Westbrook and Harden make it long-term together either – at their full power or just even as teammates. So that's, that's like, yeah. that's one thing when, because yeah. I, because I, because I'm, I'm seeing this, oh my God, the Thunder had three MVPs. They wouldn't have been three MVPs if they were all together. Right. So, but, but, but here's the thing. They, they, uh, is it safe to say they likely would have had at least, at the very least, made another NBA Finals? Yes. I think we, look. <laughs> I covered that series, and sitting there, uh, we thought this was going to be the beginning of uh, Celtics, you know, Celtics-Lakers um, in the 80s. Celtics-Lakers, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Cavs-Warriors type thing, where this was going to be three, four years in a row. And right. even even when the when the Heat won that, it was, uh, you know, I remember sitting there, and the Heat were celebrating, and the, and the Thunder players got together and sort of huddled. Yeah, they got their um, arms all around each other, <laughs> and they and they were kind of like you know, watch it, take it in, save your hate, you know. And I was, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I'm, we're going to be writing about this for years, you know, when they come back, and and I was like, yeah, book my uh, my hotel rooms for next year in Oklahoma City for the finals. We'll be talking more about this. We'll be talking about these about this uh, race for sure down the stretch. So um, that's it, Randrew. We're wrapping up. That's it. We're wrapping up. We're wrapped. All right. We are wrapped. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast, and everybody have a good weekend. Katie and KP start right now.
Welcome back to KBKP. I, I thought an interesting question to discuss this week would be from our favorite person to ask questions. Of course, that being Sean Rosales at Sean ESPN asked, with the latest athlete, Kevin Love, to come out and share his mental issues, how soon will teams react and provide proper emotional counselors slash slash psychiatrists? And I think that, you know, this mental health topic is a really interesting one to discuss. Yeah, totally agree. I think the, you know, the, the stigma around things like anxiety attacks or, or depression are, are, I think it's all wrong. And um, I think we kind of make this false assumption that people who experience anxiety attacks or depression or any of those things are the abnormal ones. When mm-hmm. in fact that is not true, and 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 then particularly so with with celebrities or athletes, we think, oh, they must be the most normal and the most contained because they are the most financially taken care of, and they have all these. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are ostensibly so secure in all these different ways, including their uh, their looks, their financial security, their status in the world, all that stuff. But in fact, it's actually the opposite. Yeah, I mean. So first to touch on what Sean asked specifically about, I mean, there are team. I would say that most teams, in my experience, you know, have a team psychologist. I, I think often it's it's more on the sports psychologist side and, and thinking about you know performance, uh, getting the best performance out of players, rather than you know what's interesting about the love piece uh, is that you know he said that the issues he was having had nothing to do with basketball in his opinion or in in the experience of his work with a, a psychiatrist. So that's one part of it. And then, you know, I think that the other question is still with that, are NBA teams doing enough? I mean, Royce White raised this question pretty dramatically a few years ago. If you recall, his contention with the Houston Rockets and with the league itself was he wanted a league wide mental health initiative rather than leaving it up to the teams and specifically wanted them to you know, uh, independent psychologist to to oversee treatment rather than someone who's employed by the team. So what do we think of those ideas? I have a couple of thoughts to this. First off being that, uh, do we want our employer to be the one that's providing mental health? Like, do we want a psychologist to be in the employ of the person that is also cutting our checks and evaluating our performances? Like, I feel like if I was a player... I would want those things to be uh, separate and distinct entities. And also, is it on? Is it the obligation of a league or a team to provide those services for a player? Shouldn't we go out and seek that uh, the kind of uh, mental? I don't even know the word rehabilitation or therapy uh, on our own to just improve the quality of our own lives. It feels like being an athlete and mental health should not be intertwined in such a capacity yeah i actually agree with that um i think because athletes like like i agree with the with the the statement that maybe um your employer and 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 you have different goals with therapy like maybe for the employer as kp was saying or at least touched upon um maybe it's that you are mentally ready enough to produce x result for my franchise and for the player it's more like no actually i just want to be okay this is about me not my performance on the court 
So I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think to some extent those those uh, incentives naturally have to be in li- aligned because, you know, you are going sure. to perform best when you're feeling well, uh, both physically and mentally. I mean, it sort of, you know, touches on the same issue is, well, if why is why are the doctors who are treating these players, you know, employed by the team? Because, you know, is their first interest going to be what's in the best interest of the team or what's in the best interest of the player? I mean, I I see some similarities in both of those things. Right. But even in that situation, uh, like Wade is now a famous example of this, that he regrets having the menisci. Is that the plural for meniscus? Meniscuses? Menisci? Menisci removed from his knees. Um, because if uh, trying to repair them was an option, that clearly would have given him a better quality of life in the long term. But in the immediacy, both to his college and his pro teams, that is the better option. And neither of them are technically wrong. It's just that what are your, which way do your priorities lie? Is it about long-term durability and health, or is it about getting the peak performance out of you uh, when it's required? That's not something I feel like you want to mess around with in terms of mental health. And I feel like if there's even a hint of a potential conflict, that mm-hmm. you should keep those things yeah. separate. I mean, I agree with both of you, actually. They, I, like that, you know, it doesn't necessarily logically follow that it, if the team doctor and the, and the franchise and the ownership has has a goal of you performing in a sort of in some way, that doesn't mean that that doesn't naturally just follow with your own mental health in, in a no less genuine way. So, I, I mean, I agree with both. I see both sides. I just, I just think that the anxiety and depression and all of those things are just so commonly misunderstood. And that's really the, the root of all of this evil. I think people don't realize that it's the more accurate root of anxiety and depression is not some like mental you're like some mental monster or like diseased thing. You're just very, you're, you're sensitive and, and sensitive does not have like a negative connotation. It's you are aware. And even though thoughts that we have may be disturbing or unreasonable or no, no, they might be disturbing, but they're not unreasonable. And, and in those moments when we're having anxiety or we're being depressed or experiencing those mental issues what we're doing is actually just picking up on fundamental aspects of the human condition that we otherwise kind of wrongly keep at bay in this this world that sort of insists that we are cheerful and ignorant and as the default mode like that we are not sensitive and especially for an athlete who needs feels the need to come across as macho or um a, or unaffected by those things because he must feel like a hero in especially in the physical and mental sense like even if you take like I'm terrified of flying I know uh, Michelle Beadle is too and like flying is an implausible activity like this is filled <laughs> with genuine dangers yes and the, but, the, it's, it, but it's statistically much safer, which is... Oh, but, but here's the problem, KP. <laughs> it takes a resolutely leaden mind not to notice that that is a freaking implausible activity. And then, and it, it is, it is, um, 
although you can you can state the statistics and blah blah, that makes the people feel that what they are they're touching upon with their anxiety and their depression, what they're feeling is actually they're being the crazy ones for fe- feeling this way. But in fact, that is a very strange activity to be doing as a human being, and um, it's it's okay to to feel scared of those things. Like that's actually very normal. See that exercise, yeah. KB? <laughs> I mean, I guess what I would say, uh, the way I would describe it is the human brain is inherently irrational. So I- as much as I can tell myself that fact that dr- that flying is no, far, far safer than driving, it is not going to compute when when we hit turbulence. Like that's still, still not going to, to solve anything. Uh, you don't just feel relief when you hear when you hit the turbulence. It's like, oh, it's it's over. This is it. <laughs> no, I do see, not. That's when you need to see the counselor. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel like we may need to uh, explore that a little further. Yeah, I, but I think to to get back to your larger point, uh, how normal it is for people to experience anxiety and how much relief there is often in talking about it and finding out that you're not going through this experience alone, that there are other people who are dealing with the same thing. And I think that's kind of, you know, a lot of what's what DeMar DeRozan uh, having and Kevin Love having spoken out about this lately have experienced that kind of positive feedback that it's not, you know, the, oh, there's something wrong with you. It's the, hey, uh, thanks for giving voice to something I'm also feeling. And you've now made it easier for me to talk about this. And I'm curious to see, you know, whether this continues to snowball in terms of more players sharing their experience because of the example of DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just nice to see people make other people feel as though it's okay to feel like it's odd to be alive. Like, it's a very odd thing that we sentient beings go through. Like the, the the very weirdness of people and the kind of like overwhelming vastness of the world of which we occupy such a minute proportion and the uh, ex- especially bizarre condition of being a self-conscious creature, meaning like in my mind, I think that there's a larger distance between the smartest animal, which I guess is a, a an ape or a, to a human. I think that, that that distance is larger than an amoeba to an ape. And because we are able to um, be self-conscious, we can turn our mental gaze inwards and track moments and hold years in comparison. And that, that feeling, what I'm describing, is sensitivity. It's, it's self-awareness. And the more sensitive and self-aware you are of how bizarre the world is and how kind of inherently dangerous it can be that that's more normal the more you feel okay with that the better it it is because you have people to empathize and even like that that what i just described is the thing of novels it's the thing that has been shared by the world's greatest minds and philosophers and poets and artists and in fact actually in her great novel middle march the english writer george Eliot. Um, totally sensitive, self-aware, self-conscious, and yet anxious figure herself, was reflecting on what it would be like if the world, if we were all truly sensitive, and if we were open to the world and felt the implications of everything, and in that she's describing herself... If we had a keen vision 
and feeling of all ordinary human life. It would be like hearing the grass grow and the squirrel's heart beat. And we should die of that roar, which lies on the other side of silence. As it is, the quickest of us walk well wadded with stupidity. It's not just this profound, scary nightmare to be correctly attuned to reality, but it's also a privilege to be able to hear the grass grow and the squirrel's heart's beating and, and whatever. And so by implication to sense the judgment in, in like a social encounter or the threat of a plane or the uh, inability to measure up to what you think you are in the athletics world or as a celebrity or the pressure of feeling that you have to be a role model. Um, that's okay. And it's actually kind of a beautiful thing. And the more that these players share that experience and the more they normalize being human, essentially, I think it's freaking awesome. And I applaud Kevin Love and I applaud uh, DeMar DeRozan for doing that. Okay, so here's one question I have about this. I mentioned Royce White earlier. Why do we think that this conversation has taken off in a way now that it didn't with Royce White, with Larry Sanders, someone else who came forward after leaving the league and, and talked about you know his, his, uh, his mental health uh I don't know what the right word is here. Struggle seems like the wrong word, but I, I don't know what the right term is. But, you know, his uh, his experience, I guess, let's go with. So why, did it, why is this taken off now and not then? I would say that one theory I would posit is that we live in a much more uncertain time than when Royce White came into the league. And because of the communal... Uh, discomfort that we all sense it is more acceptable or i guess it might be easier to empathize when a public figure comes out and talks about anxiety attacks or depression um and it offers a um i guess a guiding principle towards some of the sentiments that we ourselves feel as opposed to when did royce white have these um these discussions in 2014. It's also just, it's, yeah, it's also just like a, a product of the culture becoming like more where we share more, like the more we have social media, the more that, that, you know, like people, people on my Twitter will like tweet about what they had for lunch, which like, please never do that. But like they share, ev- <laughs> they share everything. And I think that now where it's becoming more acceptable to share certain things um, because before it was kind of like if you share you're still kind of weird for it even if you do empathize with the person it's like you don't want to also join that person in their kind of uh, isolation because they're the weird thing now the more open people are no one is really the weird thing and it's when you see strong figures like like a Kevin Love or DeMar DeRozan, like these are, you know, fairly big names in the basketball world coming out and talking about those things and, and being very personal with writing or speaking and sharing like that. I think, you know, it helps people reinterpret the way that they see their own anxiety and the way that they see their own depression and, and help them see it with greater dignity and, and benevolence and, and not as a sign of degeneracy. 
So this is interesting. I think you guys maybe are more optimistic than I am. I feel like what you mentioned at the end that, you know, these are two all-star players. Kevin loves a champion. DeMar DeRozan's in the MVP conversation this year, which is the, the phrase of the week. Uh, I think that's a big factor here. And the fact that Royce White was an unestablished player of uncertain NBA value was a big factor in it. And then also, you know, Kevin Love, we do know that this affected his availability in terms of pulling himself out of uh, a game due to the, uh, the anxiety attack that he experienced. But, you know, for the most part, he's, he's still part of the Cavaliers. This is not oh, affecting him. You think, what? yeah, you're, you're saying that status has legitimized this discussion, not the discussion itself. It's kind of like when Kevin Arnovich says, like, um, why are there no, still no out gay players in these major sports? Um, it's because Jason Collins was like a journeyman role player. It's, it needs to be like an all star, like indisputable star level person to, I guess, normalize this kind of um, discussion. Right. And I think the other discussion we've had that this touches back on is, you know, the idea of players always or fans always taking the side of the team rather than the player. Like it was a dispute with Royce White between him and the Houston Rockets. There's no dispute here between DeMar DeRozan and the Raptors or Kevin Love and the Cavaliers. Like they've, by all accounts, been completely supportive of him. So I think that makes it easier for everyone to, to be very supportive now. Well, I think that that's probably true. I don't. I'm not sure if it's so the reason why it has such a, a much larger impact when it's, it's someone like Kevin Love or DeMar DeRozan, I think is because when you're like talking about normalizing something like mental health or, or the lack thereof, maybe um, I think a lot of us panic because we feel and, and rightly so how thin the veneer of civilization is and how actually mysterious other people are and how improbable it is that we exist at all. And, and, you know, everyone dies and all this stuff. Like when someone who is ostensibly totally sane and on the, at the top of the food chain, it pierces that a lot more effectively. And I think, you know, you. I'm not sure if that's such a bad thing. I mean, it, it is not the impact. I don't think is is such a bad thing. Like when you referred to it as you know, you're less optimistic, or you have a less rosy view of it. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure that I would say that. That's. I think that that's just very uh, normal. Like that. That's what I would expect. Right. I mean, that's fair. The other thing I think that you know, might play into this, and you sort of alluded to earlier, uh, is there's probably sort of a halo effect around the best athletes that we assume that they must also therefore be, you know, the most content and not right. dealing with things in their life. And to realize that you can be as extraordinarily successful as DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love are uh, and still be experiencing anxiety or depression, I think, you know, is a, a very valuable lesson. So I would just like to say, and... I am not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't know if this is like a DSM approved model or a form of, of treatment, but I would suggest that if people come to you to share any kind of mental health issues that they are dealing with or experiencing, trying to fix it is not always the answer too. Yeah. It's, it's just as useful to be an active listener and just 
let the person know that you hear and understand what they're saying. Not not everyone is looking for for answers or for a way to fix something. Sometimes all it takes is just uh, the opportunity to be able to vent some of those experiences is what I'll say. Totally agree. I think that's that's exactly what I mean by when I say like normalizing it. It's it's it, anxiety and depression. They're not really like exactly drawing you further from reality. They're like kind of insistently tugging you back to it. And I think that the more where it's okay to have open discussions, like you're saying, and not just say, oh, you're sick. Like, how do we fix you? Right. Um, I think that's that's the most helpful. All right, to that, I have to say, Han, heard you. <laughs> what? <laughs> I feel like he, that just came out of his mouth via text, but like in a hashtag. All right, well, thanks for listening to this episode of Hashtag KBKP, and be sure to join us again next week. 